Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Do Hongyu. Coming up in this edition, a candidate in Ecuador's presidential election has been shot dead during a campaign rally. Leaders from the West African bloc ECOWAS are to meet on Thursday to discuss the situation in Niger. And at least six people have been killed as raging wildfires sweep through the Hawaiian island of Maui. Starting from South America, a candidate in Ecuador's presidential election has been assassinated during a campaign rally. 59-year-old Fernando Villavicencio was shot as he left the event on Wednesday in the capital of Quito. The assassination comes as Ecuador prepares to hold the first round of the presidential election on August 20th. Nicolas Soares has more from Quito. The country is shocked by the latest violent event. Villavicencio, who was one of the top contenders for the second spot for the upcoming presidential election, was shot killed as he exited one of his political rallies. He was 59 years old and he was known countrywide for being an avid journalist, a member of the National Assembly, as being president of the National Oversight Committee. A few days ago, he had actually reported to press that he was receiving threats from numbers due to his political positions during his campaign. The whole country is in shock and President Guillermo Lasso has stated that the crime will not go unpunished. Nevertheless, uh, an hour ago, more or less, the main suspect for the attack died during in-government custody after being injured while he was being persecuted and eventually captured. That was Nicolas Soares reporting from Ecuador. Moving on to Africa, there's growing concern for Niger's deposed president, Mohamed Bazoum, and his well-being. He is reportedly running out of food as his living conditions become dire under house arrest. Meantime, a new wave of sanctions has been imposed targeting key individuals in Niger. Kalechia McCullen has more. Fresh wave of sanctions targets both entities and individuals with affiliations to or involvement with the military hunter responsible for the coup in Niger. The sanctions come as its military leaders reject diplomatic efforts following the July 26th coup. President Bolatinubu's spokesperson, Ajuri Ngalali, told news outlets in Abuja that consultations are still ongoing to resolve the crisis. President, in recent days, particularly following the expiration of the ultimatum given by ECOWAS, has widened consultations internationally, but most especially domestically, including Uh, interfaces with state governors in Nigeria uh, who govern states bordering Niger Republic on the various uh, fallouts and outcomes of uh, the unfortunate uh, situation that has unfolded in Niger Republic. Hunter leaders denied entry to delegations from West African states, the African Union and the United Nations for talks aimed at resolving the crisis. But Hunter leaders said it was impossible to hold talks because of a climate of threatened aggression. The gravity of the situation was underscored by the announcements that the possibility of military action remains on the table. That was Kolechia McCullen. Still leaning on the developing situation in Niger, the country's military junta has met two envoys representing Nigerian President Bola Ahmed Tinubu in the capital Niamey. 
The meeting KMS leaders from the West African bloc are scheduled to meet on Thursday to discuss the situation in Niger. Deji Badamosi has more. Good thing is that uh, the ECOWAS now has been talking more about a negotiated uh, settlement. He's been talking about dialogue. Uh, unfortunately, it appears um, the military junta is not uh, willing to talk to ECOWAS. In fact, uh, it's now emerged that there was going to be a tripartite delegation now to Niger uh, from ECOWAS, the African Union, and the UN as well. And then the junta sent a communication last night that it was not willing to, to meet with that delegation. And so that visit had to be cancelled. And uh, so far, the, the junta has made it clear that it is not willing to talk to ECOWAS. It is not willing to talk to any group. In fact, um, you remember the Deputy Secretary of State of uh, the United States of America, Victoria Newland, of course, was in that country uh, a few days ago. Of course, met with some members of the junta, but she couldn't meet with the leader of the junta, General Tiani. So it's a difficult situation. Everyone is waiting to see um, what happens next. Images of um, the former uh, governor of Nigeria, Nigeria Central Bank, a deposed EMEA in Nigeria. Now we saw those images of the EMEA meeting with General Tiani. We wouldn't know what was discussed and we wouldn't know uh, at whose instance now Lamido Sanusi, that's the name of the former uh, governor of Nigeria Central Bank, now at whose instance he met with General Tiani. But I think uh, more information uh, will come forward later. But then that meeting by ECOWAS leaders, it's a very crucial meeting. We'll wait and see uh, what uh, next steps now ECOWAS will take. That was Deji Badamosi reporting. Moving on to Asia, U.S. President Joe Biden has signed an executive order banning certain investments in China. The move targets U.S. investments in Chinese entities in three sectors, including semiconductors and microelectronics, quantum information technologies, and AI systems. Biden says technological progress in these sectors in China poses significant security risks for the U.S., Wang Suwen has more on Beijing's reaction to the move. China has slammed the U.S. president's action to issue executive order, which will restrict some U.S. investments in China in the future. And China's Ministry of Commerce said on Thursday that China is gravely concerned about the U.S. issuing order of foreign investment reviews and the reserves right to take countermeasures. It went on to say that China hopes the U.S. will respect the laws of the market economy and the principle of fair competition. But the spokesman for the Chinese embassy in Washington, uh, Liu Pengyu, said China is very disappointed by the move, which seriously undermines the interests of both Chinese and American companies and investors. He added that China will closely follow the situation and firmly safeguard its rights and interests. China's foreign ministry also responded, saying that China is strongly dissatisfied with and firmly opposed to the U.S. insistence on introducing restrictions on the investment in China. It said China has lodged stern representations with the U.S. side. That was once one reporting. Still in Asia, Typhoon Kunun has made landfall on the southeastern coast of South Korea after unleashing massive rains across southern Japan. Authorities suspended 450 flights and evacuated thousands of people as the typhoon tracked north, bringing heavy rains. Jack Barton reports. Goje ended up being the impact point. It made landfall officially around 9.20, but to be honest, that's when we felt the force of the typhoon begin to dissipate. Uh, really between 3 a.m. and 9 a.m. was when we felt its full force of wind gusts up to about 35 uh, meters per second and an absolute torrential downpour through that whole time. Uh, all throughout the night, the windows were banging, you could feel the building trembling at times. 
uh, before it finally made landfall and then we had uh, still strong winds, still a lot of rain, finally dissipated out about an hour ago and uh, as the typhoon is moving further north, potentially becoming the first ever typhoon since records began in 1951 to actually move directly from south uh, to north up through the peninsula. It's moving slower than anticipated and it also gained uh, strength ahead of its uh, making landfall. So we're expecting very heavy rains as it slowly heads up, uh, predicted to meet the DMZ about 15 hours after making landfall, so probably around midnight tonight, crossing into the DPRK and then somewhat dissipating about 120 kilometers short of Pyongyang, though of course the whole of the DPRK will be within its sort of outer 340 kilometer radius, so a heavy deluge there as well. Here in South Korea, they've been taking no chances after all those fatalities uh, we saw in the recent heavy rains. This hotel was locked down, we couldn't get out. All of the bridges in this region uh, were locked down so we couldn't move around. Uh, we've seen at least 10,000 people evacuated from their homes. That's on top of the 36,000 scouts evacuated from their Jamboree site and, and even sent to safer areas over the last 24 hours. That was Jack Barton reporting. Now on to North America, at least six people have been killed as raging wildfires sweep through the Hawaiian island of Maui. The unprecedented fires have forced thousands of people to evacuate, while all communications have been cut due to downed cell towers. Authorities say the low humidity and hurricane winds passing south of the island are responsible for fanning the inferno. Jim Spellman has more. This was a home. Here's their car. An island paradise, now a raging inferno, as Hawaii deals with intense wildfires. Residents have been forced to evacuate with no time to spare. Within an hour, the flames had moved all the way down to the end of like, the neighborhood. And when we were pulling out, you look down and we are onto the highway and you look down, you look back and there's, there's cars with flames on both sides of the road. Something out of a, a, a horror movie. Dry conditions and high winds, driven in part by a hurricane hundreds of kilometers away, are helping the fire spread quickly. Buildings and homes have already been lost, and more are expected to be destroyed by the fires. One of my houses definitely caught fire. The other houses are each a block away, and I did not see them burn, but I recognize there is a very good chance that they are not there anymore. U.S. President Joe Biden has been briefed on the quickly evolving situation and Hawaii's National Guard is assisting. Local authorities say they aren't used to this type of disaster. When we deal with hurricane and disasters um, following hurricane, we're usually dealing with heavy rain, we're dealing with flooding. Um, the fact that we have wildfire um, uh, in multiple areas um, as a result of uh, indirectly from a hurricane is unprecedented. And Hawaii is at above average risk for wildfires for at least the next four months. That was Jim Speltman reporting. And finally in Europe, extreme weather in Greece has brought everything from strong winds to heavy rain and even hail. Soaring temperatures are fueling wildfires, which have been burning since July in some parts of the country. As Evangelo Sipsis reports, farmers in Greece are feeling the adverse effects of the weather events. 
It's just before sunset, and it's this time that Thanasis waters his crops for the final time of the day, hoping to keep them cool through the evening. But with the country facing extreme temperatures by morning, the field is dry and some crops burnt. All my fields are experiencing the same problem from the heat, especially my cornfields. In May, when I was supposed to sow the seeds, I couldn't because of the increased rainfall. I had to delay it to the end of June when it got warmer. The crops can't grow properly, resulting in a difficult farming season. And that difficult season is visible from above with far drier fields than healthy green ones. Like many countries in Europe, falling groundwater levels are to blame. And in Greece, it's mostly noticeable in the Thessalian plain, the heart of the country's farmland. Adding to the problem, the lack of fresh water from lakes and rivers due to the mild winter. This has pushed farmers to plant crops that need less water, but this also means less income. It's something scientists warn could bring other imbalances. Whether we like it or not, we need to reserve water. It's the only way we can increase the number of irrigated farms in Greece, because irrigated farms have three times more profit than dryland farms. I don't care what others say. For example, there is a new push by the government to plant crops that need less water. But if we do so, in my opinion, it will create food insecurity and price increases. I've raised the issue many times, but Athens isn't listening. While the Greek government is planning to provide a tax rebate to those affected by the heat waves, many farmers warn that it won't be enough as this year could be one of the worst for them on record. Some say they were forced to cut their crops earlier with the hope of breaking even. In a bid to help, a local group is working to provide water for the crops while also managing resources. The periods of dryness, lack of rainwater and heat waves are becoming the new norm. So we focus our research and work on customizing the irrigation process to use less water. I know it's something we wish we could avoid, but it's reality and we need to adapt. Scenes like less irrigated farms, dried up rivers and low water levels in lakes are becoming more and more common here in Greece and scientists are sounding an alarm. An alarm they say is not being heard by the central government. That was Evangelosipsis reporting. Before we go, here's a recap of the top stories. A candidate in Ecuador's presidential election has been shot dead during a campaign rally. Leaders from the West African bloc ECOWAS are to meet on Thursday to discuss the situation in Niger. And at least six people have been killed as raging wildfires sweep through the Hawaiian island of Maui. That concludes this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Do Hongyu. Thank you for listening.